Good morning. I'm Frank Kaufman. I'm the president of the Settlement Project. Uh, today is Monday, the 23rd of November, uh, and I'm speaking to you following a very news-packed weekend, rather a tumultuous weekend. On Thursday of last week, the U.S. president's legal team, which is involved in challenging the integrity of the most recent election held on November 3rd, uh, presented a 90-minute press conference in which three people spoke, uh, former mayor, New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who's the president's legal counsel, um, Jenna Ellis, who presented herself as the point person for that team, and Sidney Powell, who was understood, at least at the time, I believe, as a member of the legal team representing President Trump's efforts to challenge the uh, legality of the recent United States presidential election that was called for um, uh, Vice President Biden on Saturday, the 6th of uh, November, three days after the election, before any votes were certified and while counting was still going on um, across America, right, right across the way of America. The AP announcement, as I mentioned in an earlier podcast, came two minutes before uh, Giuliani gave his first press conference announcing concerns for voter fraud. And following AP, a steady flow of media uh, instantly started using the term president-elect, Joseph Biden, and uh, I've already spoken on that matter. Now, um, from the 6th until the 19th, 13 days later, uh, while what I, uh, there's a term I'll use, I'll use it all throughout, uh, the na all throughout my uh, podcasts now and going forward, I'll call it censorship media. Censorship media I refer to as elite corporate legacy media or coastal media. Uh, these include classical, uh, classical uh, broadcasting networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. Uh, this includes classical um, print media. No, print is no longer a thing really, but uh, New York Times, uh, Washington Post, uh, um, Atlantic Monthly, your basic, your, uh, and then, and then it's recently come to include, uh, very aggressive, very aggressive, uh, censorship work on the part of big tech. And again, in a prior podcast, I mentioned their violation of their section 230 status, which I hope, I hope they lose, um, because they're exploiting the trust of American people and involved in uh, censorship, uh, which is not a right of any private uh, group. But um, so, so my term that I'm inventing and that I'll use forevermore uh, is censorship media, censorship media. These are media that will not report information that would be helpful to Americans and world citizens uh, that is properly to be communicated. They, they shut down, they shadow ban, they block, they deplatform, they defund, 
they decommercialize um, uh, anyone, even with legitimate information that goes against an established uh, political purpose and direction. So that's my nickname for it. Please, please come to please familiarize yourself with that if you're going to listen to my podcast. ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, NPR, and NPR sometimes gets an article through the cracks that has some information in it. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Google, especially Google, that manipulates search results and makes it impossible to find uh, important information. Um, and then there, there are the magazines. Atlantic Monthly is foremost. Uh, the, these are names that have traded on formally established legitimate legitimacy and have since corrupted that reputation, but still trade on. It's kind of like a, a billion, a, a profligate heir to a billionaire's fortune. You can spend that down for many, many decades to come, even for generations to come. And, uh, and so if you have a reputation like the New York Times or CNN, or Atlantic Monthly that was hard won with legitimate and good journalistic traditions, uh, you can spend that down for I don't know how long it'll take. Uh, they're discredited in, uh, in the eyes of a large percentage of the American population and hopefully international media. I know Japan is covering the U.S. election with far more integrity than any of the media I've just listed. And so uh, I would imagine that honest media, there must be honest media in some countries in the world. And I think all of them will very quickly recognize that what I'm calling now censorship media uh, should, should, lose their, should lose their respect and reputation, hopefully as quickly as possible. But for now, the names sound good. And it's what people say. If it's not there, it's not true. Of course, almost the exact opposite is the case. So um, so anyway, the, um, the president's legal team on Thursday, the 19th of November, laid out for 90 minutes uh, the case for uh, how they intend to proceed to challenge the so-called results of the November 3rd election. Immediately following that, there is a hue and cry for evidence, 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 um, on the part of the media, and then immediately following the demand for evidence, then becomes the quack conspiracy theory, the crazy right-wing mania that is talking about uh, all kinds of crazy ideas, presenting no evidence. Of course, evidence is not evidence is not the responsibility of people presenting data. Uh, evidence is a, a judiciary matter. It happens in courts. You provide evidence in courts. And even in courts, you provide the preponderance, the preponderance of evidence. The first thing you provide is uh, is just cause for an investigation. So the media demand that people who get up and give a press press conference with with in, the enormous amount of data that was presented in in Giuliani's press conference on the nineteenth, um, the demand for evidence is there's two problems with it. One, that's a matter for the courts. It's not a matter for whether or not you present information to people. And the second, the second thing is, is that that is the mission and responsibility of journalism itself. That's what journalists do. I was talking to a friend in which I said, 
you know, it's the job of General Motors to lie about whether or not your brakes in the Cherokee work. And it's the job of journalists to go dig up and prove that that uh, this is a heinous crime has been committed, that people are dying. It's journalists, journalists are the ones to dig out and get to the bottom of problems, not to sit back and demand that that they be provided the the content of their own of their own work. That's what the fifth estate is. That's its job, is to get to the bottom of things. And so for them to to censor or lock down or forbid or 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 uh, refuse to communicate serious substantial claims with with a lot of a lot of uh, content sworn affidavits provided to the media sworn affidavits under penalty of perjury provided to the media and then for them to sit back and say you're not giving us any evidence it's it's a violation on two counts. One, one is that evidence is a matter for courts, and two is it's their damn job. It's their damn job to come up with uh, the the proof of the of the matters that they chased down. They're the ones that found out how much uh, what what the lead count per thousand in the Flint River. It's the journalists, the ones that get this information. That's their job. So the censorship media has become an entity that is basically deciding for people what information you are literally allowed to see. And then there's a portion of the population that does nothing but turn on its television or rely on old-fashioned names like the New York Times or something or Washington Post to say, well, this must be true. And, um, and then you have, that results in a big divide between people based on where you get your information. So... Okay, so over the weekend, a a very a very uh, two thing two things happened over the weekend that and that's the purpose of this podcast. One is that there was a public disavowal of Sidney Powell as a member of the president's legal team. She Sidney Powell and and this this is kind of there you have it now you have it. There's the blow. the The team is falling apart. Chris Christie called the president's team a national embarrassment. Uh, Chris might be trying to make friends with his new people he hangs out with during his coffee breaks. I think he's a commentator for what MSNBC, I forget what it is, but uh, uh, that's, you know, that's not, anyway, that's his opinion. Maybe he has a right to his opinion. Uh, He called them a national embarrassment and nothing was more delightful than to see what some perceived as, as, the breakdown of Trump's legal team. Oh my God, it's just in shambles. It's a collapse. They have this lady up there giving a press conference and two days later, they're, they're publishing a tweet that says uh, she's not a member of the team. Uh, so this was a real blow to conservatives or to Trump supporters who were hoping that the that the legal course would come to establish that the election, what, what they call stop the steal, that it was a fraudulent election and that it was stolen, that, that Trump really won it, but various versions of fraud, uh, which they claimed to be able to establish in court, were perpetrated, which uh, resulted in this, this false claim. That's the Trump's uh, groups and Trump supporters, what they think is going to happen. And so, the, so this, this public dust-up inside the Trump um, legal team is a delight for people 
who all kinds of people, basically anywhere from Trump haters to plain old everyday, kind, simple, straight American people who say, uh, Biden won, just stop, don't stop throwing a tantrum, stop being a big baby, just concede and, and get on with the transition so that Biden can be properly prepared to take the reins of government on January 20th. That, those are normal everyday people. They're not, they're not big, uh, they're not uh, driving trucks through Tiffany's in Portland. They're, they're just people that want an election to be called and announced and so forth. Um, so so the, the dust up or the public breakdown of the Trump legal team is, is great is big is great news all the way from from those who are funding uh, riots in Portland and uh, funding the transfer of, of uh, weapons to rioters in various cities at short order, all the way from that group, uh, all the way to a plain old everyday, voter who uh even a possibly even a trump voter that says look you lost man up uh so that dust up was disappointing to uh, more more vigorous trump supporters and encouraging to the people to say can we at last get on with this can you at least concede uh, like that so that's, that's big hard news difficult news for Trump supporters. The other thing that you start to see happen are the things like I just mentioned, the Christie comment and, and middle of the road, mainstream, highly responsible media who have taken a sudden, a, a sudden jammed on the brakes, stopped their car, put it in park, got out of the car and have given up the ghost. They're no longer interested in being any support to any Trump believer who wants to persist with the legal challenges. So a, a, major, a major paper like that is the Washington Examiner. The Washington Examiner has risen in this era of uh, disin false, disingenuous, politicized censorship, uh, uh, controlled, corporate controlled media. The Washington Examiner has risen to have a good reputation and a mildly conservative uh, hue over it. When that paper over the weekend or uh, Sunday and Monday took, publicly took the side of now in its first headline this morning said, President-elect Joseph Biden, it's, it's a bellwether, it's a landmark. And, and, and or Christie, who was a, a Trump supporter, kind of does his, he's an eloquent speaker and does his kind of eloquent derogation of the Trump legal team and adds fuel to the fire, like, okay, can we call this or can this be over at last? So when, when, these, ty when these types of uh, formally, formally uh, quote-unquote, on the side of Trump types with high profiles are give up the ghost and start to take the side of uh, using the term president-elect or begging for the president to concede, et cetera, these two types of things are very uh, difficult for Trump believers and for those Trump uh, activists who believe that the, uh, what you call it, that the challenge should continue and believe that there was massive fraud throughout the United States, especially in the swing states, et cetera. So that's the situation this morning. And I just want to say a couple of points in my point of, in my point of view.
I believe that it was necessary for the Trump legal team to divide itself and to separate the work of Sidney Powell from the work of Alice Giuliani and the other and the remaining uh, leaders of the team, because Powell's claims are too complex, too abstruse, too grand, and too difficult to weave into a focused legal challenge on the uh, irregularities that happened in Democrat strongholds, like, like Detroit, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, and so forth. So the Trump legal team that remains uh, following the public tweet uh, that disavowed uh, Powell, Sidney Powell, that group is going to continue to push the legal challenge in the Democrat strongholds and all the way up to the Supreme Court. And that group did not need to be complicated by this, this, these remarkable towering claims of Sidney Powell, who's talking about the manipulation of software at highly technical levels uh, that, that require the, the ability to pr prove things like that in court that, that deal with tech at the most subtle levels would, be, would, would just confound legal cases. It would make it very difficult for local judges and the various judiciary levels to be dealing with a complicated and muddled challenge to the integrity of the vote. So Trump's team had to divide. I believe that Powell will persist with her case, and I believe it's, I believe it's a compelling one. Uh, she, the media, of course, tries to paint her as a kook and a nut and a QAnon, as a, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's, I think that's just uh, disingenuous and partisan. I believe she will continue with her case, and I believe she's doing not only Americans and, and not only Republicans, but both all Americans, including Democrats, and the world a great service by calling into calling attention to the corrupt manipulation of votes through this voting software and voting machines. And I, I wish her well. Uh, similarly, and uh, similarly, the Trump's legal team, they, they carry on dealing with the thousands of cases and thousands of evidence and sworn affidavits of voting irregularities that are going to call into question and challenge the vote count in swing states. They're entirely different types of matters and keeping them muddled into a single legal effort would is not what the team needs. The embarrassment of having to of having had them present together and then having to publish something that said they're not together this is just fuel for the detractors and that's good enough that's good enough good luck good luck with uh people who either honestly believe that biden won or those who uh want to ensure that he won by hook or by crook no, no matter which type of the uh people on the biden side it's all good uh, it's all good. Keep going for it. Keep censoring information. Keep uh, 24 hours a day with dripping cynicism and, and, and hatred of President Trump saying, you know, calling him a tantrum thrower. And, and that's all good. That's part of the job. It's part of the fight. And I have no, I have no problem with that. Um, I'm just reporting that on this day, um, the current situation is 
that in my view that the Trump administration played it badly by having Powell and Giuliani in a press conference so recently as a unified thing where they had to publicly separate it because there because it's it's there's too, it's too confusing f- to pursue a uh, an effective legal challenge to the claims of fraud because there's two very different types of claims of fraud. I have another comment on the media shift, people like Christie and people like the Washington Examiner. But this particular podcast uh, went on too long, and I'm going to close it up here, simply speaking on the Powell the Powell split off of the president's legal team. And I'm going to come back on with a very short piece just on the shift of centrist and, and responsible and even conservative media and media figures in coming on to the side of uh, calling on the president to give it up and, and, and call it. Uh, so I'm just, so thanks a lot for listening on this public split. And uh, I'm going to come on with one other piece uh, dealing just with the equally disturbing thing for Trump supporters is this move away from center, center responsible, uh, reputable media uh, from supporting Trump's legal challenges. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, I'll be back with you very soon.